Welcome to this podcast, recorded live at the Junction Church, Aberdeen. We pray this message inspires and encourages you. For more information, you can connect with us at www.thejunctionchurch.com. You know, um, as I start this message, I, I have uh, one of the things that's been on the news so much, um, Donald Trump is... Um, uh, is good news material, isn't he? He's, uh, he's good for making people get all, you know, you only have to say his name and everyone's like, they either love him or hate him. Most people hate him. Um, some people love him. It's quite interesting. You know, by the way, um, you're not allowed to hate him. Because uh, you're not allowed to hate anyone, right? Okay, so, uh, so um, but uh, a lot of people just kind of get their blood boiling there. And the whole thing is, uh, over the issue of fake news. What's fake news? What's real news? Um, and, and it's an interesting backdrop to today's society because um, we present our lives uh, on social media. We, the, the, the interesting things that used to happen in the old days, which were personal and private, we now share with everyone, with those little moments that you never had an opportunity of sharing those little moments with anyone else. Uh, and now we feel obliged to. Like it's entirely necessary. That was an amazing moment. We need to tell the whole world. Uh, and, and so we, we feel the need to do that. But, and then comes in. So even if you are honestly sharing those little life moments, which I do, right? I mean, if you've seen my Instagram posts, you've watched me getting my hair licked by cows. You've seen that. Uh, you've seen me teasing the dog and and uh, just sitting in the background while Cheryl sings and Boaz plays guitar. You've seen all those moments, right? But, and so those are real moments. I recorded those. Those are real things that happen in my life. But is it fake or is it real? Because it presents... I mean, I've got a dear friend who I grew up with. Um, he, um, uh, he and I just went on the... We were sort of wild friends, and we did wild things. This is how wild we were. I broke his back. Um... We, we would just do crazy stuff. I jumped on him from a very large height, uh, like you would into a swimming pool, with my, into a ball, and, and I broke his back. And he forgave me. It, uh, it's amazing. We just did wild things together. And we still, but his life kind of, well, he's down south of England, and, and, we're, and uh, he's, he's had an extraordinary journey in his own, his own ride. And, and so, but he sort of, he writes up, and he writes to me, he says, looks like, you know, your life is amazing, and, because we don't see each other right so much anymore, and and but social media connects. So he looks at my life through social social media and thinks it's amazing, right? So clearly, my social media presence—is it fake or is it real? Well, the bits that I show you are real, but that's not my life. It's just little moments. I could be sobbing in the corner, depressed and crying for the rest of it, right? But you'd never know, would you? Because I just put the bits where I'm laughing. <laughs> so that's, see, see, we, and all of that is interesting because today's society is obsessed perhaps with one thing above all else, everything, that which is authentic. And in, in society's desperate drive to find that which is authentic, they've become more fake. They've become more fake because they're trying to invent something called authentic. And the moment you try to invent something, you create something which isn't real, and you say it is real. 
I was uh, watching a video this morning of uh, the, Victoria. Victoria is, is a consultant um, at, in our Inverness church. She's one of the trustees uh, of City Heart. She's an amazing lady, uh, originally um, from uh, Nigeria. She, she ministers, um, she's been, she was here for many years uh, and went to Dundee and was in our Dundee church. And now she's based in Inverness and she's now one of the trustees, an incredible lady. She posted this video of uh, an African-American girl saying, declaring outright that she is Caucasian. It's shocking. It's, not only is it shocking, it's also racist to her entire family group. And she's saying, I'm not black, I'm white. And she, it, it's called race dysmorphia or something. And it's a thing. I'd never heard of it before. Right? I'm watching it going, the world has truly gone mad. But it's also desperately sad because she's definitely not white. She's definitely black. And um, and her but her description of that which makes her black is 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 so upsetting. You almost want to switch it off because it's it's something of which this inner personal hatred of herself, which has been generated through some kind of life experience, has made her think to herself, "I'm not black. I'm white. Therefore, I'm okay." So the world is trying to invent its own and in today's culture you're not allowed to say anybody says whatever they are because that, that must be true then isn't it because I feel like I am it's lost that which is authentic and, and the more society does that the more the heart cries for those things which really are real because society's lost its ability to know or understand what is real because if you take reality out of the picture and invent whatever you like, you suddenly exist in a place with no walls, no boundaries, no, no up or down. No, there's nothing. There's no line. There's no guidance. And so because of that, what happens is that people get entirely lost. And the more lost they get, the more they cry out for that which is authentic. One of the things that fascinates me, I know I've talked about arts quite a bit. I, I follow a lot of artists on Instagram. Um, and one of the things that I've, I've noticed is that fake art is, is now a thing in its own right. That, that forgeries are now worth a lot of money. The forgeries are a, a, a big business. In, in 2015, Sotheby's discovered that they had sold a, a painting a 15th century painting for six million pounds, but turned out to be a forgery. Um, it also transpired once they looked at where the painting had come from, come from an art collector uh, in in uh, in France who had supplied them with 180 million pounds worth of paintings, all of which turned out to be fake. So they start doing this sort of research. They then discovered there's a there's a modern day, uh, in fact, artists uh, who who produce or forgeries, uh, an extraordinary, uh, it's an extraordinary business. Uh, and modern-day artists, if you forge modern-day artists, it's a lot easier because the, the components that you need to forge a painting are more easily accessible. And so there's an there's a early 20th century um, Jewish-Italian artist um, 
whose name I can't pronounce, but it starts with M-O-D-L-I-G. It, it's Italian, right? So it finishes with an I on the end. So, and uh, <laughs> that or an A. And uh, so his, his name, and, and I can't pronounce his name. I, I've never been able to. I don't particularly like his work either, but it's worth millions of pounds. And they recently had an exhibition of his work. And they had 21 pictures. It turned out that 20 of them were fake. (laughs) And here's the deal. They have many, many experts looking at these works of art and going, that's real. I think that that's real. So the difference between the real and the fake is is almost impossible to tell because the artists these days are... The, the forgeries are putting in so much care and attention to the original artist that they're copying that work that they're saying this is, this is real, but it turns out it isn't real. And while I'm reading these stories and looking at these events, a scripture comes to my mind which I want to speak is perhaps one of the most troubling. I've got lots of troubling scriptures for you. Is that all right? We're, go- we're, going to, we're going to deal with some of the worst verses in the Bible. If you're allowed to use those terms as a sentence, the worst verses in the Bible. And <laughs> in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, Jesus says some troubling things at times, doesn't he? He really just knows how to upset you. And and this upsets me, this verse upsets me a lot, because I'm a good Pentecostal. I love God, and we love it. And, and Jesus just, he just comes along and he ruins the Pentecostal church's experience. Matthew seven twenty one to 23 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's the Pentecostal church right there, isn't it? I mean, these people, they didn't just do cast out demons and heal the sick. They did many wonders. I mean, he's in his name. In his name. They went in the name of Jesus and people got healed. And he says to them, depart from me. I never knew you. I, this morning is about fake or real. What kind of artistry are we producing in the house of God? Fake or real? This verse has bothered me all my life <laughs> since I learned to read. You read that and you go, well, how do we know? I mean, if you're a worker of miracles in the house of God, how would you know? Would you, I mean, I'm left going. I was When I first read this, thinking, well, I pray in tongues and I've seen people set free and Will I not go, Lord, Lord? And he goes, who are you? I even paid all my tithes. I did it every week. Don't you remember? (laughs) 
fake or real. Depart from me, I never knew you. You see, here's the thing. Jesus is speaking to the church and he's trying to say there's a difference between church and church. There's a difference between those who think and believe and feel like they're even Christians. I mean, these people, they don't, they're not pretending to be Christians, right? They're convinced. Said it was a horrible scripture. I'm sorry. I apologize. Let's go to something nicer. I'll change the subject. Let me carry on because I've already unsettled you. <laughs> a few weeks ago, I spoke on Bethel, the church. That in, in um, Genesis, Jacob has a dream. And in the dream, he sees heaven open and a ladder and angels ascending and descending. Descending, And in, when he wakes up, he says, Behold, the Lord was in this place, and I did not know. This is Bethel, the house of God, the gate of heaven. In John chapter 1, when Jesus is speaking to Nathaniel, Jesus says to Nathaniel, who's already confessed that Jesus is the Son of God, right at the beginning, of the, before Jesus has done anything, and he says to Nathaniel, you will see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And we see Jesus take ownership of this Old Testament declaration that Jesus, who is the church, he is the head of the congregation. He is the declaration of who we are. We, we are born again because... He saved us. He is the head and we are the body of Jesus Christ. We are adopted into his kingdom. Amen. And Jesus says, in me, you will see angels ascending and descending. You're, I am the gate of heaven. This is what Jesus is saying. I'm the gate of heaven. The church is the gate of heaven. That place where the world can step into the heavenly place. The gate. It's the place where there is, a, there is a shift from that which is natural to that which is supernatural. This is Jesus Christ. And then last week or two weeks ago, I spoke about the church has a message that if we are the gate of heaven, then what is that gate and how do people step across and I spoke about how Jesus speaks in the last days. He'll divide the sheep and the goats. That's another troubling scripture. And the sheep are those who loved the people who just needed loving. And Jesus said, and as much as you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it to me. And then he'll say to the goats, depart from me because you didn't feed me when I was in prison and you didn't, you didn't, you didn't clothe me when I was naked. And you, you, you didn't come and see me. And, and the ghost will say, but Lord, when, when was that happening to you? And he's going, as much you didn't do it to the least, you didn't do it to me. See, in John's Gospel it says, twice the Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus. And they, they say to Jesus, what's the... What is the greatest of all commandments? There's a law. 
was the greatest of all the laws. And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commands are equal in the line of importance. That if you're going to have access to heaven, the only way to get access to heaven is to love someone who needs loving. It's, it's the, you, can't just, you can't just be vertical. There's something called vertical morality. Who's heard of that term? Vertical morality. Vertical morality is, is our Christians who come along and go, oh, yeah, I've sinned. Oh, gee, I'm sorry for my sin, Lord. Please forgive me. It's all about me and God. Vertical. But Jesus said, the kingdom of God is about loving other people. It's horizontal vert- morality. See, if, if all you have is vertical morality, you can do whatever you like to anyone. Don't give a rip. All I have to do is go and say, I'm sorry, Lord. There I am. I'm okay now. You just wiped out a hundred people's lives, their hearts, their souls, their minds. But it doesn't matter because I said sorry. Pause for a moment. For a fact. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't matter because I, I said sorry. Uh, yeah, it does matter. Because the kingdom of God is based on this. If I love James, and it's quite difficult, right? But if I love James, then that is equal to me loving God. The evidence that I love God is the fact that I love James. Maybe I love Judd. Never met James's brother. So, you know, there's a long line of family behind James of them too. Right? So the kingdom of God is a kingdom which is not about me going, oh Lord, I... I'm, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, this is what I did, but God, I, I'm sorry. Do you know that's, that's an old covenant principle? And it says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus made the old covenant obsolete. I'm still being radical. I haven't got to my point yet. I, I haven't forgotten to look at my notes. <laughs> I'm just speaking out of my heart right here. See, you must understand the old covenant is obsolete. What's the Old Covenant? Is all the law. Not the Old Testament. The Old Testament's not obsolete, but the law within the Old Testament is obsolete. That includes the Ten Commandments. I'm still, I'm still telling, I can tell you, shocking you. Jesus came to give us something which was better than that. Right? Let me give you some Bible. Let me find some Bible. Revelation chapter 2. Another difficult verse. It gets better at the end, I promise you. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things. Write. Sorry. (laughs) I put the comma in the wrong place. To the angel of the Lord of the church of Ephesus, write. 
These things, says he who holds the seven stars in his hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil and have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them lies. And if you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary, nevertheless I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So, the word to the church is this. I like what you've done. You've done a great job in maintaining a really good Christian culture environment. But, it is in Entirely, completely and absolutely worthless if you don't return to the point of why you were doing it. How do you tell a forgery from the real thing? How do you? I mean, if they're identical, right? The brush strokes. This is how you tell. This is the only way they can tell these days. They take a tiny fleck of paint from the painting. And under a microscope, they can tell the components. Whether those original components are original or whether they're modern day. You see, we can look like we're the church. But if the original component isn't love for every single person that exists around us, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then what we produce is of no value. See, tradition, I was brought up in traditional church, and the church I was brought up in, on Sundays you couldn't go into a shop and buy something. Because Sunday is the Sabbath. It's not, by the way. Jesus, by the way, he's the Sabbath. There isn't a seventh-day Sabbath. There isn't, just doesn't exist anymore. Because the old covenant doesn't exist anymore. So, I was brought up to believe that, and I remember my parents having this discussion. Have you seen the Methodist minister? It's always a Methodist. They didn't like them. They were Baptists. You seen the Methodist minister? He was seen going into a church, into a newsagent on Sunday and buying a paper. It was the only shops that were open when I was a kid. The rest of the shops weren't allowed to be open. And they thought he was going to hell because he bought a paper on a Sunday. Somehow, the church had adopted tiny amounts of the old covenant law. But not the animal sacrificing bit. They didn't do that bit. They had just adopted the bits that suited their interpretation of the gospel and said, this is the commandments of the Lord. When Jesus said, I give to you a new commandment, he came to, he said, I have not come. I have come to complete the law. He came and when he completed it, He wrapped it up and finished it and said, that's 
done now. There is now something so powerful, so wonderful, that it doesn't require a list of laws anymore, but is written upon that which is in your heart. In John, 1 John, you'll find the scripture says that it's written on your heart, and you will know all things. So what is the law that is written? This is the law. Let me read it to you. John, 14, John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The house of God is a place that should be known for its love for one another and its acceptance and desire to draw in all and love them and help them understand that they are loved, that God paid a price for them, and that they are accepted and they are healed and restored in His name. And no other requirement is placed upon them. Even the Ten Commandments. Even the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were part of the law. That's now obsolete. What you mean they do? I, you mean I can murder my neighbour? I'm so glad. I get it. <laughs> no. Because love, love creates a higher. You see, one of the things that we used to ask, and I remember in our youth group, remember this kid asking this question. How long have I been preaching, brother? It looks like I've gone half an hour over. What's the time? Ten to Okay. So this kid asks, he wants to know if he can have sex with his girlfriend. The problem with the question is being measured against Old Testament values, not New Testament. You measure it against Old Testament values, you, you get yourself into trouble. Because you have a list of laws, what you can and can't do. And everyone wants to know how close they can fly to the edge without actually... So if he says this, and I'm going to be... Can I be slightly coarse without meaning to be? I don't. And he goes, can I have it? No, you can't. Can I touch a boob then? I know it's shocking, right? Can I touch a boob then? He's asked what he says, and it's like, well, no, you can't. He doesn't say that in the Bible. <laughs> it doesn't, does it? It doesn't say that. It's a problem with the church. Once you start adopting laws that Jesus made obsolete, you get stuck in rules about what you should and shouldn't do, what you can and can't do. And we suddenly have dropped the standard from here. The moment you create a law, you drop the standard from here and you put it down here. You put it into an old covenant that doesn't set people free, doesn't liberate people, doesn't empower them, doesn't, doesn't lead them into a place of liberty doesn't give them revelation of the knowledge of God. Because suddenly it's a measure of what I can do, what I can't do, what I can get away with and still be accepted as being a Christian. Look at this. 1 John 4 verse 7 to 12. Finish with this. I've got a lot more to say about this, by the way. It's going to take me all of next year. Honestly. Honestly. There's a revolution coming within the house of God. When we start suddenly preaching a gospel that is about the love of God, 
and not the rules that are obsolete. It's about how God came to set a people free and God came to empower them. Oh, I'm so excited. John 1, 1 John 4 verse 7 says this. By the way, if you want to, if you want to get a revelation, read 1 John. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God. Everyone who loves is born of God. That's the, that's the essential ingredient that determines whether it's real or not. See, I can, I can do the things. See, the name of Jesus is so powerful. Seven sons of Siva, who didn't, who did, not only did they not have a revelation who Jesus is, they, they'd heard that Paul, so they went, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches come out. And several demons, they obviously they're quite successful until one demon was slightly more intelligent than the rest. I went, whoa, 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 wait a sec. All his mates have been, name of Jesus, I'm out of here. And then these guys, who've got no knowledge of Jesus Christ, they just saw an opportunity to sort of make a bit of money. I went, whoa, I can't use the name. I, don't, I know Jesus is, I know Paul is, but I don't know who you are. They were fakes, they were really bad fakes. They got away with it for a while. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God. God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us. That God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. Look at this. You can see what this is saying. No one's seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been perfected in us. How will we see this city saved? I was in prayer a few days ago. And I've not, I've only shared this with one person. I've not shared it with Cheryl. Maybe I shouldn't say this. (laughs) I checked with her first. The Lord said to me, I'm going to give you 10,000 people. Get saved. 10,000. seems a lot, but it's actually in a nation of 6 million people, it's almost nothing. And so, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how long it will take. I don't know whether that's 10,000 in this church or just 10,000 in wherever they can be housed in the house of God because they're brothers and sisters, right? You're with me. God showed me showed me 10,000 people. He just showed me, saw many, many multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision. Many people don't know the Lord because they weren't introduced to him, but they were introduced to the law. God is love. 
and if we love those who are unloved God abides in us and we are perfected in him how can you tell the difference between a sheep and a goat how can how can you tell if someone will say Lord, Lord, did we not did we did we produce a fake or did we produce the real thing there is only one real thing and that is the love of God which shines through us if we use the pigmentation of God's love in the picture that we paint in our lives that then becomes an original by the master himself and his name gets written on the picture that we paint as we love those who are unloved in the first century church became famous because of its love in Roman times it was considered a legitimate way to get rid of unwanted children was to leave them to something called exposure you would, they would have a baby if they didn't want the baby maybe it was deformed or, or it was a gender they didn't like they would just leave it outside, outside the city walls. They would put the baby down and walk away. And, and it was considered legitimate because you weren't killing them technically. And if fate allowed them to live, then that was so be it. But otherwise, it was no longer your problem. By the way, we're coming back to that kind of mindset. that Today's society, I've heard professors arguing that we should get rid of children up to the age of two if we so wished and felt that they were these are this argument and it's difficult to argue with with these intelligent people because if you use the word of god the law if you use the law as the measure it's easily contested the other way to say this is the, the bible says well this is more than this is what god speaks and what god says is his love and love does not destroy you see see love is far higher places far greater demand it it, it requires way more of us. And the first century church just went, you can't kill those babies. And they took them in. And within a generation, it became illegal. It became to do the very thing. There is a letter by a Roman soldier who wrote to his wife and said, if I happen to get back before the baby is born, so be it. But if not, if the baby is 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 a boy, then, then feed, feed him and, and keep him. But if but if the baby is a girl, put it outside for exposure. That's, that was the mindset of those people. They had no kind of moral compass. And they didn't so because they didn't know about the love of God. The love of God sets the morality, sets the power, sets the liberation. The love of God is, is, opens the door for the power of the Holy Spirit to step into people's lives and radically change them, to heal them, to set them free. The love of God, the church needs to respond to the crisis of this generation with the pure, unadulterated love of God that just loves people and brings them in and draws them in. Those who are rejected, those who are broken, those who have no home. Every person who has suffered under the the wickedness of this culture, for Jesus Christ came and gave his life for us. As I have loved you, do so to others.
for joining with us. For more information about events, service times and how to connect with us, visit www.thejunctionchurch.com.